Well, I hope everybody had a wonderful Christmas, and today we are doing a Family Worship Sunday more so than normal, because we have all the way down to, I guess, age two in here, and so I just want to remind you, if your child acts up a little bit, it doesn't really bother me too much, all right? I mean, obviously, if they're going crazy, all right, we have a cry room here, but I'm, I'm pretty much immune to this. I can just push through anything, so we're just thankful that you're here and part of the service, and if you do have younger kids, don't panic if they do get, you know, a little bit noisy, and so... Again, it doesn't bother me. So let's pray, and we'll be back in John chapter 5, and we're going to be verses 25 through 29, John 5, 25 through 29. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that gives us life and gives us truth. God, I pray that today as we look at these verses and we look at the authority of Jesus, uh, I pray this will be something more than just we talk about, but it'll be something that is progressively um, growing in our lives, God, that we submit to your authority in Jesus' name. Amen. The idea of authority, most definitions of authority, contain something about causing someone else to do what you want them to do, all right? And so you've always wondered why maybe you rebel against authority. Well, if you have your mind set on one thing and authority says no, that stops you from doing that, then that's why you maybe have a bad attitude against authority. Everybody's fine with authority as long as they don't mind what the authority says, but when it pushes against us, then we have a different opinion about it. Uh, a few years ago, we were in Washington, D.C. on July 4th, and I was one of the most exciting things about being there on July 4th and being just a part close down into the downtown area was to go out and do a run that morning before everybody else got up. I wanted to get up, and as it was coming light, just run through the, the scenery there and see all the things that um, I've you know heard about and seen on TV, but to experience that way. And so I'm, I'm running and didn't think about the fact that July 4th, that very early on, streets were going to be closed and they were going to really, uh, security was going to be tightened. So as soon as the st sun started coming up, they started blocking off streets. And I found myself working my way up one street and I was going to go head down, um, and I don't remember what street it was, but it was one with a very a lot of historical buildings and so on. And right as I got there, they shut the street off. And as the police officer shut the street off, I could squeeze through the little barricade because other people were going down through there. And as soon as I did, he stepped out in front of me, and I had ear earphones on, and I couldn't really hear him, but he really, like, flexed his authority in front of me and, and to the point where almost, like, man up against you, you know what I mean? And, like, you, you rebel against that. And it really upset me. Like, I want to go that way. I don't want to turn around and go back this way. I want to go that way. And he was clear that that wasn't going to happen. And I guess because I had ear, uh, earbuds in, he, he yelled at me. And so quickly I turned around and headed the other way. But it kind of made me mad, you know, that I didn't get what I wanted, right? And for good reason. And, and so we don't like when people flex our authority, their authority. And Jesus in this passage is literally flexing his authority to the religious leaders of the day. And we talked about this a lot last week where Jesus talked about the fact that he was the authority over creation, he was authority over salvation, he was authority over our glor his glorification, he was being glorified, he was God over our eternal destination, he has authority. And so we continue this today where in verse 25 Jesus says, "Truly, truly I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God." and those who hear will live. And so the religious leaders are very upset, as you can imagine, and Jesus does not attempt to de-escalate the situation, unlike me, who, okay, yep, I see. Jesus just continues on, because why? He's the ultimate authority. They may have the name badges that say they're the authority, and they may have had the title of authority, 
but he was the ultimate authority, and so he wasn't going to de-escalate the situation. He just continues to push forward on his authority to these religious leaders of his day. Now, in verse 25, it's referring to the spiritually dead people, but here in a second, he's going to transition to encompass spiritually dead and physically dead people. But in verse 25, he says that he is Lord over the dead spiritually, and when they hear his voice, they respond. So those who hear will live, and hearing is about, if you're here at Christmas Eve, we talked a little bit about that. Hearing is about acknowledging Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. He's literally the Son of God, and you must take him seriously as Lord, as he is in command, he's in control, not you any longer. And so those who hear and those who believe, Jesus says throughout this book, they're going to be born again, they're going to have eternal life, and we must just submit to his authority. Interesting story, supposedly true. It's hard to believe, and some of you who were adults during this time, I was alive, but don't remember this and read the story that, that back in the Carter administration in the 70s, that um, Jimmy Carter's daughter, President Carter's daughter, Amy, had a homework assignment. And does anybody remember the story that's uh, uh, older as I'm telling it? Just, I, I'm just curious if this was like in the mainstream media or whatever. And so she, had a, she was stumped on a question regarding, uh, I think, the, the revolution, the American Revolution or something like that. And so she's struggling with this question. And so her mom turns to one of her aides and says, hey, do you know the answer to this question? Can you contact somebody from, you know, the Labor Department or something to find out the answer to this question? And so the aide does that. But when they receive the information, they think that it's literally President Carter needing this this information for something to do with national security or whatever, I don't know, but they like go into warp mode back before you couldn't Google things back then, all right? You had to like literally fire up the, the computers in the, the White House or in the, in the Pentagon or wherever to begin to research this out and find out the information. And they begin to do that to the point, this was on a Friday, they kept people overtime to work to find out the answer to this question that was just a homework assignment for Amy. And interesting enough, that they calculated the cost, supposedly, of being several hundred thousand dollars to get the answer, which, by the way, she made a C on the, on the, on the project. So impressive, right? It is impressive authority, maybe not so impressive with our government, but impressive authority that the fact that Carter needed it and they went to action and to all this extent. But Jesus is a whole different level than any president the fact that he can say he can take people who are spiritually dead and make them spiritually alive. That he can take people who are dead spiritually and allow them to become alive spiritually, meaning that they can relate to God, they can know God, they can have a relationship with God. And it's serious claims that Jesus is making. But while most of us in here would affirm that intellectually, that, yeah, I believe Jesus, he's God, he's the authority, he rose from the dead, I believe all these things, but I just, as I'm studying this passage, I think, what happens when Jesus' authority collides with what I want? When Jesus and what he wants begins to collide with what I want to call, and Jerry Bridges calls, functional saviors that we have in our life, things that we go to for comfort, for security, uh, things that make us feel better other than Jesus. That's what we call functional saviors. So an example would be, Rather than running to Jesus, you run to Facebook 
and, and you get your Facebook fix every night, but you'll be quick to, quick to say, you know, I don't really have time to read my Bible and pray, but you have time to spend with Facebook. So Facebook would be a functional savior to you. It's practically where you go to get what you want rather than Jesus. doesn't mean it's a bad thing, but it's what the functional saviors are the things we run to that our actions say they're more important than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I, I really want to see two choices when we come to Jesus. And C.S. Lewis talked about this, the second song that we sang. If you're familiar with C.S. Lewis writing, a lot of influence of C.S. Lewis in that song. But C.S. Lewis talks about how that Jesus, either his claims are just not true, and you just dismiss him because he this stuff's made up or he really wasn't who he said he was. But, and so you just dismiss him. And so the things that he says, the authority he says, just aren't important things. Or on the other side, the other, other choice is he's true. And then if he's true, practically, then that changes everything about our life. The way that we conduct our life, we live our life, the things we um, put our value and our, our hopes and our dreams in should be centered around Jesus. And so truthfully, there's only two choices there. It's either Jesus is false or Jesus is true. And if you believe that he's true, and as you grow in your faith, then more and more of your life is centered around him. But there's nowhere in the middle. You can't have middle ground. If he's true, then you run with the things that he says and the claims that he made. And we don't do that, do we? I mean, our faith, I mean, that really practically shows how weak or strong our faith really is. And for most of us, it's probably more weak than it is strong most of the time. And so we had to fight through the power of the Holy Spirit to really truly believe and act on the fact that Jesus was who he said he was. He gives spiritual life, and we can build our life upon that truth. But we run to these functional saviors almost every other chance we get, and we give Jesus lip service, but very little real life we run to Christ on the, the problems we have. When anxiety hits you, when struggles hit you, when financial burdens hit you, is Jesus the first thing you run to, or do you run to functional saviors? Now, one of the challenges of being a pastor is the fact that you stand here and you make these bold claims knowing the fact that I don't always live out perfectly, for sure, what Jesus said. I have my functional saviors just like you that I run to. And if everyone in here, regardless of how long you've been a believer, would be honest and admit it, your faith is not maybe as strong as you like to pretend it is or people think it is. And a man who wrote, and he died a few years back, but wrote many great things, preached many great sermons, his name's R.C. Sproul. And he says this, and it's really like confirmed my trust in God's word, regardless of sometimes whether I get it right or not. He said, the more faithful preachers are to the word of God in their preaching, the more liable they are to the charge of hypocrisy. Why? Because the more faithful a preacher is to the word of God, the higher the message is that they will preach. The higher the message, the further they will be from obeying it themselves. What a great reminder. And what a great encouragement. I think it's an encouragement. Because it doesn't mean that you cut corners on what Jesus says. You embrace what Jesus says and humbly admit you fall short of his standard of saying, I am the authority in all areas of life. You own that, and I think in that humility, in that admission, in that confession, God grows you in ways that you would not otherwise grow. And so admitting your weakness is not the problem. 
as Paul Tripp likes to say, it's the delusions of, of strength that you have. That's really the problem that exists. And Jesus confronts the people who think they're the most spiritual people, and he says, here's who I am. And Satan is, is, wants to destroy us. And I think sometimes we think that Satan wants to destroy us by just bringing the worst sins possible into our lives and us falling for those things. But I think Satan wants to use things that are very, like, every day, like taking the birthday of Jesus and using that as an opportunity to get more of our functional saviors, right? Like, give me, here's my list of stuff, and we're getting, on Jesus' birthday, we're getting a list of things that we run to more and more to be our saviors, our functional saviors. doesn't mean there's anything wrong with any of these things that we're getting, probably. But the truth is, if, we, if I have this, then my life will be more full and more complete, well, you get it, and you get that new phone, and you, you, you love it. You, you know, for a few days, you're fascinated with it. But what happens? Six months from now, Apple's telling you you need something else. You need this iPhone 14, and so you got to run and get it to be full and happy. And so the functional saviors, Jesus' birthday, Satan says, let me trick people believe, to believe that they have to have these things as their Savior rather than me as their Savior. And so let's make sure that we don't buy into the lies of Satan and the things that he says. And when it comes to these functional saviors, again, I stand here saying, I struggle, and you do as well. And we want to run to Jesus. And verses like Philippians 1, 6 are where I rest my life upon, where Paul writes, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to its completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm, 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 I'm convinced of this. I'm certain of it, that Jesus is going to finish what he started. And for some of you who find yourself today, you're here maybe super discouraged. It's not been a great weekend at all. You've been running to functional saviors. Some of you run to alcohol, to drugs, some just TV or Facebook. You indulge yourself to find the fulfillment you want. And today you find yourself here with a lot of regret, remorse, conviction. Don't quit. Embrace Jesus humbly. Embrace his authority. Allow him to keep transforming your life. If, he's, if the Holy Spirit is in you, Jesus is going to keep working and doing his work. And here's the thing we must remember. Faith is risky. Sometimes it seems, it doesn't seem too logical. It doesn't feel like we're being even responsible at times to put our faith in Jesus. And, and some of you that are very practical, it seems unwise. It seems almost like, really? All right, come on. Put my trust in Jesus in this. I've got to do stuff. And while doing sometimes is part of it, it has to start with Jesus. It has to start with who he is and who he claimed to be, and that he says, I'll give you spiritual life. And I'll give it to its fullest. To John 10.10, 10, the, the, the Satan's come to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come to give you life and to give it to your to the fullest. And so if you believe that, you keep running to Jesus and saying, I want to experience that life that you give. I don't want to be deceived by Satan. And then verse 26, he just goes on to present greater authority. He says, here's why I have authority that I have. He says, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. So this explains why Jesus can speak to dead people and they come to life because as the father had no beginning, Jesus had no beginning. We saw that back in chapter one. 
The Father was not created by anyone. Jesus was not created by anyone. And so Jesus is saying, just like God the Father, I have life in myself, and I'm able to give life, bring life to dead people. And again, in in this verse, he's speaking to spiritually dead people, but verse 27, he begins to, to kind of transition to physical death as well. And he says in verse 27, and he, God, has given him, Jesus, authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. So Jesus is saying all the authority of God the Father and all the power that he's displayed as you people who are the religious leaders of the day, you search the scripture. We'll see next week. You search the scripture to find truth. You've seen the truth of God. All this is being revealed in this this title, the son of man. And the Son of Man conveys this idea of complete authority, complete power, complete glory, complete rule. So he says, this is all in me, and Jesus said. That's a huge claim. But he goes on. Again, he doesn't quit. Verse 28, do not marvel at this. Don't be surprised. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And I can't imagine at this point the religious leader's expression Really? You're saying that you're going to speak the word and dead people will come out of their graves. That's the claim that Jesus is making, that he is the one who will be calling out the dead people to come to life at the final resurrection. Man, that's authority. And let me ask you this. How could someone be so foolish to make that claim unless they were God? So someone would would stand there and say, to people that I'm going to speak the word in the last days, the dead will come to life. You got dead people in the graves, and Jesus is saying, When I say the word, they're going to come to life and be resurrected. It's pretty radical. Only God could ever support such a statement. And so Jesus was revealing to all people, both saved and unsaved, that will literally, physically be resurrected from the dead. And so read, let's read verse 28 and 29 together. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So these words of Jesus really bring home the truth of what Jesus demands and expects for us and how that he's battling against our functional saviors and the things that we put in our life in place of him that practically we run after. Now, Jesus is not teaching here a works-based salvation. Just look even in the context. Back in 25, he said, what did he say? He said, I'm telling you, the hour is coming. It's here now when the spiritually dead will hear the voice of, of the Son of God. And those who hear, those who respond, those who get it, I'm the Son of God, and I've come to bring you life, when those who hear will live. And Scripture is very clear. The wages of sin is death, but what? The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Grace is given to us. Salvation is given to us as a gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast about it. So Scripture is clear. And if you have a background that's all about you working to earn your salvation, you've missed the truth of Scripture and the point of Jesus. Please know that salvation is not of works, It is works do not earn our salvation. But once again, the stressing that hearing is 
not just an intellectual thing either. And so Scripture is constantly at tension with this because it's so easy for us to affirm Jesus intellectually, but yet then just run to and, and embrace and indulge our functional saviors with no problem with that. And so Jesus is creating tension, and he wants us to know that true faith, as James talks about, inevitably leads to true works, to good works, to a life that's being conformed to the fruit of the Spirit and more of Christ coming out in us. And I love how John Piper kind of brings together this. He says, salvation is by faith in Jesus, and rewards are by faith. But the evidence of invisible faith in the judgment hall of Christ will be a transformed life. Our deeds are not the basis of our salvation. They are the evidence of our salvation. They are not foundational. They are demonstrational. Our deeds will be the public evidence brought forth in Christ's courtroom to demonstrate that our faith is real. And so Jesus, as he speaks and says, this is my authority. This is who I am. This is the power that I possess. We know, and we'll see later on in John, that many of his disciples, they can't handle him. And these, the word disciples, these are people who abandoned Jesus because they could not take the level of authority that Jesus demonstrated and gave and commanded. And they were okay as long as Jesus was doing what they wanted, bending to their authority, right, by doing the good works, the miracles, feeding the 5,000. But as soon as Jesus started saying, you got to eat of my flesh and you got to drink of my blood, you got to be all in with me, people began to peel off and abandon Jesus. And I love Peter's response. Jesus looks at his 12 and he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, where would I go? Only you have the words of eternal life. And I don't know about you, but in some of my deepest, darkest moments in life, that verse has just drawn me in. When I look to Jesus and say, I have no elsewhere to go. Yes, I've run to functional saviors. Yes, I've run after other things. But at the end of the day, Jesus, you're in me, and I'm in you. And I want to know you more. And I want to have a deeper relationship with you. And the vast majority of you, I, I'm not here to heap false guilt on you by saying you're not doing enough. I mean, the fact that you're here and you're engaged in Scripture is a good indication that God's working through your life. But for some of you, the truth is, you know that it's not deeper than just an intellectual ascent to, to God and to Christ. And, and you're unwilling to let Him be Lord. Doesn't mean you're going to get it all straight. As R.C. Sproul says, the higher you look at the Word, the more you see yourself falling short of the standard. But that's why we have a Savior who came and died for us, because we could not measure up. And that's why we need by grace through faith and not of ourselves, because you'll never, ever get it good enough. And you run to the person of Jesus. And so in our head today, let's know Jesus has authority over eternal life. Your works don't have authority over eternal life. Your good efforts don't give you authority over eternal life. Only Jesus has authority to give eternal life. So what do we do with this? How do we let this sink down in our hearts? It's something I say often, and I will continue to say. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the Word of God. You saturate yourself 
with God's word. It's another verse I like to quote a lot. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Just let the word of Christ just fill you up. And it's not trying harder for more works because that's just external change. That's what the Pharisees and the religious leaders were all about. It's about a heart change, and Jesus constantly got to that in the Sermon on the Mount. It's about the heart changing, and as a result of the heart change, the word in us and dwelling in us, our behaviors, our actions, begin to change. It doesn't mean that we don't apply effort. Effort is part of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, but the effort comes through a love and a passion for Jesus Christ. So letting his word fill us up. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of God. And then practically the hand-sided things. Here's, here's a really, really practical thing that you can do this week. Examine your functional saviors. Examine your functional saviors. Look at the things that you're running to that replace Jesus Christ. In fact, on the app, and also I will put these in the Monday email tomorrow, a list of some questions that you can walk through, just you and the Holy Spirit in prayer with God, walking through some questions that maybe help you identify the things that you are putting in place of Jesus Christ, things that are you're running to again and again. And some of you know instantly, yes, it's this or that. Sometimes they're much more subtle. They're, they're underneath surface idols that we run to to take the place of Christ. Romans 8.32, I close with this. Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he also with him not graciously, he'll graciously give us all things? How will he not also with him graciously give us everything we need? Second Peter chapter 1, God has given us everything we need. If, if, if Jesus came and gave his life, don't you think he's going to give you everything you need to live a victorious life, a faith-filled life? Yes, he is. He's going to finish what he started. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word that gives us truth. God, I thank you for your claims of authority, Jesus, that require us to step back from our life and just to ponder your greatness and your superiority. And for those who maybe grew up in church and have heard the story of Christmas and Luke 2, many, many times, again and again, and God, we allow this story just to go in one ear and out the other, and we don't really wrestle with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that Christmas 2021 will be a time where we truly have seen a line drawn in the sand, that we truly want to follow you with our whole heart. And God, thank you for your grace that meets us there in a place of humility where we admit that we don't have what it takes, that we need a Savior who died and rose again. And that you kept the law perfectly because we cannot. And God, I pray that you will allow us to uh, spend the time and, and, and have the discipline through your spirit to be in your word, to allow your word to change us, to grow our faith. And God, I pray you will put to death the sins in our life that are replacing you. In Jesus' name we pray.